You're now listening to The Nest on Tap, conversations to encourage parents to make informed choices about healthcare and embrace parenting as a tool to change the world, one diaper at a time. Here's your host, Katie Demota. Hey, welcome and thank you for joining us at The Nest on Tap. I'm your host, Katie Demota, and today I'm joined with, by Kate Drucker, who will talk with us today about nourishing your relationship after baby. Kate is a coach and doula who has a background working as a psychotherapist with youth, families, and perinatal populations. She's also a certified John Gottman Bringing Baby Home Educator. Welcome, Kate. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm so just thrilled to be um, a guest on The Nest on Tap today. Um, just a little bit briefly about my background. As Katie said, um, I've worked mostly as a therapist in community-based mental health, um, and I actually fell in love with the world of birth work when I lived in the Bay Area, and I became a volunteer doula at um, a county hospital in Costa County, and then as well as I volunteered as a doula with incarcerated women. Um, at the Alameda County Jail in Dublin, California. So it's just, it's a topic I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I'm also really passionate about talking about relationships after baby because I feel so often it's something that just gets, it, it's a really tricky aspect of becoming a parent. And I feel that we don't have that conversation a lot is how to sort of baby-proof your relationship. So thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here today and present. Thanks, Kate. We're happy to have you. It's such an important topic, and I think one that doesn't get focused on enough. Yeah. Um, we certainly talk about it a lot in our groups, but um, I'm glad that you're here today, someone a little more qualified than I am to talk about it. Um, we all know how challenging having a baby can be, and it's hard to find time for ourselves, let alone finding the time and energy to devote to our partners. Um, is it possible? to have a fulfilling relationship after birth? <laughs> well, yes, I do think it's possible. And um, I'm in no way implying that it's super easy. <laughs> it is a difficult, um, uh, it is a difficult thing to maintain um, intimacy and friendship after having a baby. And let's be real. I mean, the, re the relationship researcher says that you know, roughly two thirds of couples do experience relationship dissatisfaction after having kids. Um, and I'm not sharing that to alarm anyone. I mean, even relationship research that studies couples that are together long term who don't have kids also experience relationship dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. But um, as we will talk in our conversation today, I'll share what maybe some of those um, unique challenges are that shed light on why there tends to be um, more challenges in relationships after baby. Great. What do you think makes the transition to parenting challenging for couples? Well, I think there's a lot of things. Um, I mean, just the relationship itself changes. Uh, conflict tends to increase after mm -hmm. baby. Um, conversations between couples tend to be more stressful. Sex and intimacy decline dramatically. Um, and also, um, there's a way in which I think partners in the transition to parenthood can become emotionally unavailable to each other. 
Um, for mom, you know, they are more, their time and energy is spent with baby and working with a feeding schedule, dealing with sleep deprivation, which I mean, let's be real, sleep deprivation alone <laughs> can lead to um, just stress and irritability and depression. Um, also for mom, you know, having those extra household uh, tasks can also lead to resentment and make her more unavailable to her partner. Um, and for dads, this can be frustrating. And um, for dads, they can feel lonely and unappreciated um, because of this. And um, in some cases, dads withdraw too because you know, they, they might be forced into the role of being the primary breadwinner. Um, and so they can feel unappreciated and, and lonely. And by the way, I want to just also say as a disclaimer, I'm using words like mom and dad. And I recognize that some of the listeners um, who are live with us today or who are going to be listening um, in the podcast at a later time might be, it might be mom and mom or dad and dad. And so just for ease sake today, I'm going to be using words like mom and dad, but I'm in no way implying that this is for heterosexual relationships, the topics that I'm bringing up today. Um, so yeah, but, but going back to um, that, you know, what I was saying is that some, some dads do withdraw because I think they feel like they don't know what to even contribute. And I think in certain cases it is because, I mean, obviously, yes, biologically a baby is going to be attached to mom, <laughs> like especially if you're, if you're breast or chest feeding, especially in that case. Um, uh, but these changes that I'm talking about are, you know, once again, completely normal and they don't necessarily indicate that your relationship is in trouble. That's such a good point. Yeah, I think it, we could, if we start to think of it as a normal and expected speed bump, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, because like the research shows is that couples that kind of go into parenthood with like an overly optimistic view of like, oh, right. we're going to be so close and it's going to be so great. We're going to be so much more intimate, like that's kind of also sort of a setup though too. I mean, it's not bad in any way to be positive about, you know, how your relationship is going to change for the better in the course of becoming parents. But um, if you're overly optimistic and not maybe, you know, having like a little healthy dose of um, realism of the reality that these things are normal, they, they are challenging, but also it doesn't mean that anything's wrong or that your relationship is over. Right. Yeah. What would you say are some warning signs that a relationship would be in trouble? Can you think of any examples for our listeners to be aware of? Yes, absolutely. So I would say that, I mean, probably the most obvious one is that there just tends to be more negative interactions than positive mm -hmm. interactions. Um, again, this is unavoidable. Um, but um, another piece is that uh, can you repair with each other when you have those tough interactions or those negative interactions. I mean, it's completely normal when you're having a conversation, whether it's with your partner, your coworker, your friend, your neighbor, that sometimes conversations can take a more difficult turn, but 
it's our ability to repair with another person and turn towards repairing conflict mm -hmm. that is going to support not only your relationship with your partner, but any relationship for, um, for that matter. Because the thing that I'm also hoping to kind of um, point out today is that really probably the two most important things that are gonna support a relationship's longevity is your ability to maintain your friendship, right? But then also being able to resolve conflict effectively. Um, again, like you can, you can see couples that have highly conflictual relationships, but they know how to repair and they turn towards repairing when things get rough. Um, another aspect of what are, what are maybe warning signs that uh, there's a relationship meltdown is what are referred to by John Gottman as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And just briefly, I don't know if um, any of you are familiar with John Gottman, but he is a relationship researcher who, for the past 40 years, has studied um, what makes or breaks relationships. And I mean, this guy's like really studied relationships. He had um, a research center in Seattle, Washington called the Love Lab, where he would have couples in a simulated home environment that he would study. And I mean, really study, like wow. study their, monitor their heart rate, monitor their urine. And um, so he's, uh, he's a wonderful resource in terms of, um, uh, couples relationships I recommend reading his books but going back to the four horsemen of the apocalypse these are four negative uh, communication patterns that you'll see not only in romantic relationships but you can apply this to any relationship so I'm just going to review what those are okay. um, briefly because it comes up in relationships a lot and can kind of indicate when your relationship um, might be a little bit in trouble so the first one is criticism. Mm -hmm. So criticism is when you're pointing out something negative in your partner or you're blaming them. Um, so an example would be, you know, saying like, what's wrong with you? Or, <laughs> or um, uh, another thing is uh, when you criticize someone, you might say, you know, you never dot, 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 fill in the blank, or you always do this, dot, 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 fill in the blank. And one thing I think is really important about uh, when you phrase things like that, you never, you always, um, it's actually going to make someone, it's going to take them out of the present moment, and then they're going to go into their mind and try to come up with all the instances that, you know, uh, they've done something or haven't done something. So uh, as a new parent then, I'm just going to stop you for an example. Sure. What if you're constantly saying, but you never wake up with the baby? You never change his diapers. Now, would you say that that's part of a normal experience or would you say that that falls into blame? So it is part of a normal experience. Like that can be really valid that maybe your partner like – really never does wake up with the baby in the middle of the night when maybe you've had a conversation that that's something you've agreed upon. But it goes back to, once again, how do you have those tough conversations usually? And we'll get to that later in okay. um, our talk today. I'm going to talk about 
expressing needs. <laughs> um, but it's more how you communicate that. So for example, if you're, you know, like if you're going to say like, you never wash the dishes, like, you know, oh, you never wash the dishes after making breakfast. It could be, you know, I, I really appreciate you cooking breakfast and, um, you know, I, it's, it's important for me to have a clean house. It makes me feel safe and it makes me feel like I have one less thing to worry about. I need you to wash the dishes after you cook breakfast, right? That's, you see how that's a little bit of a softer way of communicating versus you never wash the dishes after yeah. cooking breakfast. So that's an example. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Um, the second um, negative interaction pattern is defensiveness. Uh, so defensiveness is a strategy that many of us use to protect ourselves from feeling blamed or attacked. So defensiveness uh, includes counterattacking um, what the other person is saying or just flat out denying responsibility. It's not my job to wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah, or or it could be like, yeah, well, you you never do the laundry. <laughs> you know, that, that would be like a counterattack that's kind of like, it's totally not even part of what the conversation should be. But <laughs> yeah, um, and going back to defensiveness, like that kind of ties into when I was talking about criticism, because especially when you use the words you always or you never, that's kind of a setup for a person to be defensive. Um, because like I said, when you use words like you never or you always, most people are naturally gonna think of, well, wow, do I really never do that? They're gonna actually think of a counterattack mm -hmm. um, to prove that that's not really not true, that they never or that they always do whatever it is. Right. Uh, the third piece is contempt. So contempt is using things like name calling, hmm. mockery, hmm. Uh, sarcasm. Uh, contempt can also show up in nonverbal ways. So, you know, thinking of someone like rolling their eyes at someone. That's a really uh, toxic uh, uh, communication pattern, you know, whether it's in your, your intimate relationship or just with anyone. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, the last, uh, one that I want to bring up is what's known as stonewalling. So stonewalling happens when someone, uh, completely shuts down and withdraws and, um, they either make little eye contact or they just disengage. And uh, so a lot of times what is happening when someone is doing that, it could be because they're withholding. That's like kind of a, a, a power thing that people might use. Um, but it could also be because they're feeling flooded. And um, what I'm, what I mean when I say people feel flooded is when they're so triggered by what's going on that it act, their nervous system goes into fight or flight mode. And so as a form of uh, self-protection, uh, they shut down. Mm. 
So, and, and when that happens, and not only in the case of just with stonewalling, but even let's say you are having a difficult conversation with your partner and one or both of you are starting to feel flooded and for each person that shows up differently, right? Um, that's really a great time to take a break and take space. So whether it's one partner going into the other room and utilizing whatever skills work for them to self-soothe. So whether it's um, taking deep breaths, um, listening to music, some people need to go on a walk to get out, you know, to get out and move their body. And you can feel flooded, by the way, even with your baby, which I think it's really important to be aware of too. Like if you're starting to feel flooded because maybe your baby keeps crying and you're not able to soothe them, it's okay to take a break and self-regulate and get help, you know, give the baby to your partner um, or to another adult and go, go for a walk outside or go into another room and um, regulate yourself. Right. I was going to say it's overwhelming just having a new baby. And all the things that you're, you know, being stonewalled, I feel like so many moms or parents in general can feel that way all on their own without even having conflict in a relationship. They feel stonewalled by other people, you mean? No, just the baby, just overwhelmed in this state of like, I'm not able to self-regulate because I'm overstimulated. Yeah. yeah. So adding conflict and relationship on top of that can be really overwhelming, I imagine. Yes. Yes. And just to clarify, I was just talking about feeling flooded. Stonewalling is a communication pattern oh. that some people engage in during conflict. Um, and just so like kind of, um, I'm sure all of us can relate to all four of these communication patterns. I mean, and we all engage in them to a certain degree. I think some of them we might default to more often than others. Yes. Um, so again, like this is also completely normal. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Um, it means you're human um, if you do this. But I just wanted to kind of um, illuminate what are maybe some red flags if you find that this tends to be more of the norm than the exception in your relationship with your partner, right? Thanks for that clarification. Yeah. 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 Uh, so what do you find that couples can do to maintain their friendship and intimacy, which seem to be the important part, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I think just basically bottom line, man maintaining emotional intimacy and friendship is key in supporting the longevity of your relationship. So I want to just review kind of what are four typical things that might be helpful that are very easy and simple to do, but I think we can often forget just in the course of, you know, our journey into parenthood. So the first one I wanted to talk about is um, expressing fondness and admiration to your partner. So, um, you know, I mean, a big part of maintaining um, friendship and intimacy is being able to hold a positive perspective of your partner. Um, and so part of that includes how we express admiration during those everyday moments with them. Um, you know, because let's be real, I think many of us have a negativity bias. And I think that um, 
I know that that's something I've certainly have struggled with. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's neuroscientist Rick Hansen. He talks about how our brains are like Teflon for <laughs> positive experiences mm -hmm. and um, Velcro for negative experiences. I think that it's easier to kind of ruminate or perseverate on you know, our challenges with our partners and what we don't like that they're doing, how annoying they are and how unhelpful they are, <laughs> right? Versus um, kind of finding and expressing the goodness we see in each other right. each day. So what that means, expressing fondness and admiration is, like I said, it's finding those everyday things that you appreciate about your partner. So an example would be, you know, saying things like, like, wow, I, I really appreciate you folding laundry this afternoon, or, um, or I thank you so much for getting up in the middle of the night to feed, like I really needed that extra sleep, or, you know, I watched you and the baby play this afternoon, it was so much, it was so heartwarming, right? So giving those specific examples and, um, and being genuine and authentic mm -hmm. about it too, you know? Right. I can see, I mean, even in my own personal experience, I almost feel like some people really like the direction. And by giving them that positive feedback, they can say, oh, okay. I'm just, no, I need to know what you want, right? I feel like that is so true. And thank you for sharing that because I was actually going to just say like, oh. <laughs> no, like, yeah, no, I'm so glad you said that because yeah, like the typically what the outcome, the natural outcome of that is, is that when you give your partner positive feedback, it's usually that they're more going to do more of that behavior and do things that you appreciate, right? Yeah, it works. It works when we give positive <laughs> feedback. When you give that specific, specific feedback is like, oh, okay. Oh, wow. She, like, they really like that I folded the laundry. I'm going to make sure to do that more. Or, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Feeling appreciated. I think that's a key. Definitely. Because I think, in, once again, with both partners, um, like what I was saying early on is that I think it's so typical that partners feel underappreciated and under acknowledge because both you know both partners really are in their own way contributing so much um and it's not a competition of who's doing more who's doing better but i think there's a way in which you know you can forget that oh wow like my partner actually does value yeah. like the type of parent i am or the type of partner i am and it makes a difference absolutely yeah um so the next piece I wanted to talk about, which we had kind of touched on a little bit early in our conversation, is expressing your needs. Um, so like I referenced earlier, uh, resentment can often be behind a lot of the emotional distancing that occurs between couples. You know, it's all the unspoken resentments we might be harboring. Um, that leads us to feel unappreciated and unacknowledged by one by each other and I think this is where being upfront about what you need from your partner is really crucial um, and 
you know, don't get me wrong, I think it would be great if our partners were mind readers. And because I think especially, you know, um, I think for, you know, for women, um, it's oftentimes, especially the case that they are holding a lot of the emotion, they're doing a lot of the emotional labor in, in the household. And so it can be irritating to think, wow, do I really have to ask that? Shouldn't that be obvious? I can hear people, you know, saying that. And it's true, but, um, but no, it's not always obvious. And I think it's safer to assume that your partner isn't always going to be able to anticipate what your needs are. And so therefore, it is important to um, find ways to express your needs. So and with expressing your needs, it is just important to use, you know, use eye language and be really specific. So like, you know, saying things like, I need a, I need a weekly date night with you. Or um, another example is I need us to spend time as a family on the weekend. Or I need you to ask me questions when we have a conversation, mm -hmm. right? Just being very like clear and specific um, as you can. Um, and again, I want to be like really uh, real of just saying that just because you express your needs doesn't mean that they're going to get met or they might get met always in the exact way that you want them to. Um, and that's the where I think negotiation comes mm -hmm. in between couples, you know. Um, but I think the very act, though, of expressing your needs is really is really self-empowering and important because you know you matter and your needs matter and you're modeling to your kid um, mm -hmm. what a healthy relationship looks like too do you have any tips for negotiating the needs if they're not being heard or met and this could simply be the difference between two brains right mm -hmm. i'm expressing my need but it's not being heard or it's being heard differently than i'm trying to express and it's being met differently than I was hoped for. How can we gently, or maybe not gently, but clearly negotiate if they're not listening? Any tips for that? That's a really good question because it's complicated, right? Um, yeah, I think just continuing to have that conversation and using I language because I think this is where conversations can get escalated if you feel like your partner is not hearing you or mm -hmm. seeing you. Mm -hmm. um, so being as specific as possible and finding ways to negotiate, like, cause you're going to have to negotiate, you know, you, cause otherwise then you get into this weird power struggle mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it's, and I'm, I'm also, I do acknowledge though that, that's why I said not, we can't, our needs are not always going to be fully met, but that's where there's space to compromise. Thank you. Yeah. I want to yeah. share. And one thing I wanted to just share too, is that that's where we kind of also get into the realm of, <laughs> I think in each relationship, there's solvable problems mm -hmm. and then there's perpetual problems. Mm -hmm. So a solvable problem that like an example, that would be like a logistical problem. Like I need you to watch the baby for 20 minutes so I can go on a run outside. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus a perpetual problem really could be like, you really might not get along with your partner's in-laws 
<laughs> like, and there's no, like, or, you know, there, or other perpetual problems too. I mean, you name it, every relationship has it too. So I think like knowing that I think can also soften when there is cha these challenges or problems in relationships. Thank you. I was going to share an embarrassing story, not a story, but <laughs> I felt, I just found a lot of conflict with this being a new mom. And I think it came back to, you know, my partner didn't really understand my needs because he was so, it's so abstract, right? Caring for this baby, maybe not understanding how it feels to breastfeed all night long and then all day long and not even finding time to be able to take a shower, get a snack and looking at him thinking, oh my God, he can just leave when he wants to. And he can come back when he wants to. I don't even know where he goes. Where is he doing? He probably can stop and have a snack. And I'm yeah. over here starving. Yeah. And I ended up being invaded. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's really kind of like, don't you understand? And I remember writing one day on the kitchen blackboard. We had a blackboard. And I wrote, I need this, this, and that. <laughs> Thinking that this different illustration of my needs might help him. And instead, I think I made, I pushed him away. You and it made him, him feel, yeah, made him feel like, I don't know, inept. So that's my embarrassing story. Of <laughs> I think though, but it's kind of showing you like how you can be so you're like physically close to someone, but yeah. you're like almost, you know, galaxies apart in how you're experiencing, right. you know, being a parent. Yeah. Right. And I think I hear this a lot with parents, like yeah. doesn't understand, you know, how this feels. So I think a lot of this is communication and it is communication. Right. And that's, so speaking of communication, that's segueing into the next mm -hmm. um, piece would be having those daily conversations with your partner. Um, again, I know that that is easier said than done. <laughs> it sounds easy in theory, but we know that time is a very valuable, rare resource when you're when, after baby, um, but having regular check-ins with your partner. So whether it's finding a way to do it when baby's taking a nap or has gone down for the night, taking like 10 to 20 minutes to just check in with each other and not even talk about your, rela your relationship, but talk about just how your day was or, um, you know, having that regular ritual. And um, and really being present with each other. And I think you brought up a good point. Like some couples don't feel seen by each other because however the other person is communicating or expressing their understanding, for some reason, mm. there's like a mismatch. And so, you know, finding ways to like use those skills, like reflective listening, for example, um, you know, and making eye contact. Mm -hmm. Those are way, just kind of like basic social skills that let the other person know that you're being really present with them. So helpful. Yeah. Um, the last piece that I want to talk about is, I think, sometimes one of the trickiest ones um, is intimacy and romance. So I wanted to talk about that last because um, really establishing emotional connection is the basis of intimacy and romance. And the, the, the three things I just shared would help establish emotional connection. Um, 
with couples. So, you know, we know that, um, you know, during the infant period, women's hormones greatly diminish sex drive. Um, you know, not only just even the recovery from childbirth, but also just within the first year of after giving birth, you know, your sex drive might just be really low. And also for a lot of women, there's a feeling of being overtouched, <laughs> um, you know, after having a baby. Um, so, but still, um, having even just non-sexual affection is really important for couples. So whether it's a hug or a kiss reunion at the end of each day, um, uh, having your partner give you a massage, those are things that couples can do where you're still maintaining intimacy, but there's not necessarily a pressure for for sex, um, you know, because with sex, like every person is going to have their own timetable for when they're ready to resume sexual activity. Um, and, you know, it, it's just, it's a time to be patient and sensitive to each other's needs. And speaking of needs, like this is also another place where you can, finding ways to delicately express your needs in a way that doesn't, um, doesn't make the partner feel rejected by you. Yeah. Any tips for that? Yeah. <laughs> right. How, how do you do That's that? What I just think, well, I think though it's what I was sharing is, you know, finding ways to still maintain like even just non-sexual intimacy. I think though too, okay. So this is something that I remember in my, so I'm, I, I trained with, the John Gottman Institute in Seattle. And one thing, and I'm just putting it out there. I'm not advocating for this at all. I'm just sharing what some couples researchers share is that when you are ready to resume sexual activity, you know, um, you could, I, again, not everyone's going to like this, but you could schedule sex. Some couples do that where they just agree that, okay, this one day or night a week is when we have sex. Because if you're not having sex, I'm not sharing this to shame anyone, um, but you know, if you're not having sex eventually, you might as well be friends, right? Um, it is an important part of, um, of relationship satisfaction. Thank but you. yeah, so, but yeah, there's no easy answer to that either. Everyone's different. Um, Thank you for sharing. We also, if anyone is curious about pelvic floor health and the physical side of sex um, and, and resuming sex and maybe having painful sex, I would direct you to the podcast we did just a bit ago uh, with Chelsea Lynch. So if anyone is experiencing some issues with sex, um, she did a great job of explaining some things that make sense. Why is it happening? Um, and like Kate just said, the hormones are shifting and it is absolutely normal to experience a different set of all sorts of feelings when you begin to resume having sex after baby. Yeah. And it can be really important too to like share this with your partner. That way it, for the partner who didn't give birth, you know, um, <laughs> 
you know, just for them to know that it's not personal doesn't mean that you're not still attracted to them, um, but rather that, like we're, we're talking about, that there's really, like, these profound physical changes that can make sex really uncomfortable mm-hmm. after birth. Right. Yeah. You mentioned being touched out, and I think I hear it all the time, especially as people get closer to, you know, nine months, 10 months in, or a year. Um, do you have any tips for that? How a mom can support herself to not be touched out so much or f- have some reserves left over for her partner if she's feeling that way? Sure. I mean, what I'm going to share is pretty obvious, but just making sure to take that time where you're not touched. So, you know, when you do have time for your own self-care away from your family to have that time where it's just you, I think is so important because, and again, this is where I think really, if you can relying on the support systems you do have to get time away from your kids. And I know that like this especially is a tricky time given COVID and I know everyone's situation is different depending on you know, whether you live near family or friends, and some people also just aren't comfortable with childcare right now, given the current um, climate of everything. But finding ways where you can have time where you're just, you don't feel like you have to be touched is important. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to share any other aspects before we open it up to questions? Um, I think just in wrapping up, I just want to say that, you know, I know that the information that I shared is not like a cure-all, but my hope is that through our conversation today that people felt like their experience was normalized and that you feel that there's just, there are these sort of small daily rituals of connection you can do to maintain friendship and intimacy and in your relationship because versus taking these over the top making these over the top gestures of love i think most of us respond like a plant would that having a little bit of consistent watering each day is way more fulfilling than these giant you know buckets of love you know i think it's just these daily simple things (laughs) And simple is so key postpartum, right? I think it's easy to forget our partners when we're so overwhelmed with baby care and our self-care. Um, right. Keeping right. small bites, that's a great suggestion. Right. It's more doable. It might be overwhelming to some people to think about the big buckets. Right. Right. Thank you for keeping it real. That's great mm-hmm. ideas. So any of our current listeners have any questions for Kate? Again, you're welcome to chat the question and I'm happy to read it for you or you can unmute yourself and ask. And also, can I just interject? If people just even have comments like, wow, this really resonated with me or no, that didn't resonate with me. I just feel free to also share um, your experience too. While we're waiting for questions, Kate, can you tell us how folks can connect with you? 
Yes. So the easiest way is going to my website. So it's just my first and last name. So www.katedrucker.com. I offer coaching and counseling for um, moms in postpartum. I also, I teach uh, couples workshops. And if you live in the Truckee, Tahoe area, I offer birth doula services. Um, Great. Thank you so much. And we will be featuring uh, Kate with uh, a class with Kate um, coming very soon. And hopefully she will become a regular instructor in our program. So do be looking for her classes, both on her website, as well as the Nest website um, uh, coming soon. We're getting a lot of comments. Thank you. Oh, go ahead. Did you have a question? Oh, I'm, um, I don't know if you're referring to the person on the phone making noise, which is me, Rayanne. Um, I just, but I'll just quickly share um, that I really, really liked the simplicity of these approaches and some of them I've heard before and some are new, and, um, but I just can't be reminded enough. So even things that I've heard before, such a wonderful like reminder of how simple these steps can be. Um, and I'm like over here frantically taking notes on <laughs> all of it so that I can make sure that I'm doing these things and also share with my partner. So thank you so, so much. Um, and I just also really liked how it was like, here's these four things and then here's these four or five tactics. Um, so I found this immensely useful. Thank you so much. Thanks for your feedback, Rayanne. You're so, and Rayanne, I wanna end to everyone. Um, what Katie was just alluding to is that I will be teaching a couples class um, December 6th with the nest. So, you know, please, if you feel comfortable and if your partner's open to it, um, you know, bring them along and we'll go deeper into the content I shared today. And yeah, so you're welcome. Thanks for the feedback, Rian. Okay. Awesome. We Thank you. Mm-hmm. We do have a question. It's, uh, I found that when I try to express my needs, my partner often hears it as criticism and responds with defensiveness. I try to use I language, but whenever there's a you do or you don't do in the statement, they would just focus on that part. Yeah, so, and thank you so much for bringing this up, um, Cynthia. Uh, it's kind of what, like what, I was what Katie brought up too. Sometimes when you do express your needs, um, a partner, you know, based on just maybe their own experience, like it could be from their own family of origin, still, for whatever reason, they hear any sort of feedback, whether it's coming across as uh, critical or not, it can put them into a defensive place. So sometimes even like what you're saying, Cynthia, is even if you are being soft and, you know, softening into bringing up maybe um, some feedback and you're using I language that still a person based on their own personal history is going to get triggered. Um, so I would say if, if you're, if you and your partner are open to it, I would love to have you participate in my workshop, but this too is sometimes when, um, maybe even working with like a couples therapist or someone as kind of a mediator could actually be really useful because when you bring in a third party, 
they can help um, maybe your partner see that um, that you're right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was just a joke. But they can help <laughs> your partner. Maybe they can they can see where maybe your partner is getting triggered, right? And so it it has nothing to do with you, but maybe for whatever reason, they're getting triggered by a way a parent or a teacher or some other adult used to talk with them. So it might not even be about you. It's just about their own experience. Because let's be real, like to, to receive any type of feedback, especially if it might be, you know, a little challenging, it, it takes a lot of ego strength to uh to get feedback and not immediately default to defensiveness or to go into fight or flight mode right so um yeah it i guess i'm sorry there's that i don't really have like a cookie cutter um answer for you but if you want we can maybe shoot me an email and we can talk more about this um you can find information on how to contact me on my website our follow-up question to that, which I think every every woman says in her mind now is, yeah, that sounds great, but how do I get my partner to actually do that? How do I persuade my partner to read a couples therapy or to take a class? Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> I know that's tricky, right? I again, I don't, I don't have a cookie cutter answer for that either, but. <laughs> You know, there's such, let's be real, like there's such a stigma. I think it's shifting, but there's been such a stigma against therapy or coaching or getting any sort of support for yourself. And um, I think if you can kind of frame it as it's just, you know, just as if you would go to take your car in to get repairs or, you know, you're going to go work with a personal trainer to get fit in some area of your body. Like, so too, we go, we go to counselors or we go to therapists or coaches or doctors for extra support. Um, yeah. So I hope that helps. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. Yeah. Any other questions while we're here? We did get a nice comment. Catherine wants to say thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. She's a huge Gottman nerd and super happy to have them. <laughs> Awesome. I'm so glad. Okay. Well, I want to thank our speaker, Kate Drecker, for joining us today. Thank you for your time and your wisdom. So important. Such a, such a great topic I wish we were talking more about in our culture. Um, again, this will be recorded as a podcast, and you can come back and listen anytime. Thanks, Kate, and thank you for our live listeners as well. You've been listening to The Nest on Tap. For more talks about pregnancy and parenting, visit us online at thenestnevadacity.com, on Facebook at The Nest Family Resource, and on Instagram at thenest.nc.